What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 41 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today's a great day. Today, we get to follow up on what we learned last week with Coach Patty Gasso from the University of Oklahoma's women's softball team, four national titles, years in coaching, looking back. Today, we get to get in with a guy who's new in the head coaching piece. He's going into his fourth season. But the coaching piece, he goes back many, many years. His name is Coach Butch Thompson. He's the head coach at Auburn University and has built an impressive first few seasons at Auburn. But even more important than that, he has been a staple in college baseball since the 1990s. He built his his sort of his name while at Mississippi State as the pitching coach there, turning out pitcher after pitcher after pitcher that went on to the next level and performed and did amazing things and career collected amazing stats while at his university. But what you're going to learn about Coach Thompson is there is so much going on behind the scenes, his faith that drives him, his love for his players, his athletes, and even more importantly, his love for his family. You know, with college baseball starting, I want you to get a, a little bit of behind the scenes. We watch these teams play, but I want you to know the person in the dugout, not the uniform they wear or necessarily the name of the school, but the person behind that uniform. Because here's what we say all the time. A leader is a leader in any industry. And Coach Butch Thompson is a leader of leaders. Today, you are going to thoroughly enjoy his homespun humor, his fun, his lighthearted look at life. But deep down in the engine room, there's a lot working. So I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen in to my time with Coach Butch Thompson. Well, Coach Thompson, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on Lynch with a Leader. It's an honor to have you, buddy. Mike, thank you. I've enjoyed, uh, you know, getting to know you and see some of the blessings that you give me from from watching some of your stuff. And, and thank you for being a leader yourself. And uh, War Eagle to all the Auburn fans out there. There you go, baby. I know there's a lot of them. You're sitting right on the front end. I know we're going to be coming out in February. Right now we're recording in January. You're sitting on the front end of baseball season. What excites you most, Coach, about this time of the year? It's nice to be heading into your 28th year of college baseball and still feel like you're 11 years old anticipating a season. So, you know, we have a month left and before our season starts in the middle of February and our guys are coming back to school and, you know, I'm had a great break. You know, that's one thing about being a college baseball coach is man, that Thanksgiving to the first of the year is just some amazing time with your family. Guys are finishing up exams. You've had a whole semester of work, but you get so much time with your family that you feel good. You, 
make sure you're doing your things there, taking care of your house. But then baseball season starts rolling around. I start sleeping less. I'm starting to think about, you know, <laughs> who's going to hit where in the lineup. And we're going to do this when we get back. And you map out every day with your coaching staff. And you can't wait to get on the field in the spring in January. Um, you know, just just thinking about, you know, everything that's going to happen through 56 regular season games, the potential, uh, the best version of everybody, you know, catch it every ball, make it every pitch, and then going in an attacking practice like we'll, we'll start this week. So when you were growing up, has that love of baseball always been there? Has that been the sport that's driven you the most? You know, I'm deep South guy from Mississippi, Northeast Mississippi. And, you know, baseball is no doubt a great love. And probably, you know, there's some guys that started with it. You know, you can start in T-ball at six years old. I was a little delayed in that fact. I started when I was 11 and 12. Um, but an instant love for the game of baseball. And the reason why I mentioned from being in the deep South, you know, football kind of rules the culture. Right, so that's right. We actually – you know, I would probably say the first love was football and because that's just what our whole, our whole area, the whole culture, the whole mindset is uh, football, football, football. And baseball is a beautiful game, grew into it, fell in love with baseball. But probably because of where I live, I probably tried to play baseball with a football me mentality. <laughs> it was probably <laughs> later before I figured out how, you know, to play baseball with a baseball mentality. But, uh, you know, um, uh, being matched up athletically, being a uh, average football player, <laughs> being an <laughs> average baseball player, to be honest with you, moving forward and, you know, you get some opportunities, you lose some opportunities, um, and then baseball became very clear that this is the path I needed to take. Did you think, did you think you'd get into coaching? So you went on and played off in college. Even going into college to play, did you see yourself coaching one day? What did you think your career path would be? I'm unique from that standpoint. I had a, you know, my coaches have been my biggest impressions in my life. Um, I've definitely been some godly men that uh, has served as a Paul and a Barnabas to me growing up. Uh, but I, I would have to say, I, I feel like my eternity has been captured. Um, the road to finding uh, my Savior has been built around my coaches and they've just been some of the strongest men in my life. Guys that I wanted to be like, uh, have been my coaches. So it started early for me. I, I didn't play baseball my senior year of high school because I was going to junior college to play football. So, uh, I needed to prepare and get bigger because I was, you know, five, 10, 175 pounds saying I was going to try to play college football. <laughs> uh, so I coached, um, spring football. And I, I just I haven't really seen that before or after somebody still being in high school and his high school football coach, uh, Bobby Hall, allowing me to actually, you know, be on his coaching staff and, and work out and get ready for, for college football. And so I knew at that point, once I got into college and, you know, I started trying to – guys were 300 pounds and they were out running me in 40-yard dashes and <laughs> they wanted me to gain, you know, another 50 pounds and be a, a nose guard instead of a linebacker. Uh -huh. You know, I, I loosened up my left arm again. I walked on for the for the baseball team at Itawama Community College. <clears throat> but I tell you what, I, I was never the best player in anything that I ever did. But I, I think my gift, one of my gifts God gave me was being a captain. So I was a captain of my high school football team. I was a captain of my junior college baseball team. Um, 
And then I was just blessed beyond belief, not even knowing at the time to get to go play for Brian Shoup. Mm. He's the head coach at UAB now, Alabama, Birmingham. But at the time, he spent 17 years at Birmingham Southern College. And he gave me an opportunity to come play at Birmingham Southern. And I said, I'm in because, you know, the big schools, I was packaged and lived in between Mississippi State and Ole Miss and the SEC footprint. And, you know, I wanted to do that and, and play baseball at the highest level. Um, wound up going to Birmingham Southern because uh, I thought I saw something sticking out of this man. And I was right. And he sold the package of, you know, you want to play. And I said, yes, I want to participate. And so Birmingham Southern was my match. And I just, uh, you know, I just felt like the coaches have impacted me. Uh, after my junior year of playing for Coach Shoup, I actually went back to my small hometown of Amory, Mississippi. And I started American Legion baseball team. And my younger brother was on that team. And uh, I did that in lieu of going to play summer baseball a lot of our guys you know we'll have seven or eight of our guys go to the cape cod league and a couple go to alaska and california and everywhere in between uh, to keep honing their skills as baseball players and uh, i started in high school coaching and then even when i'm in college as a student athlete i'm off you know starting legion baseball programs so i don't know what it is that's my journey but you know i, I was i knew i was destined to coach uh, you know, before I ever got through college. What was it, Coach Shoup? And I remember at the conference we were just at together, you brought up Coach Shoup, and I've heard, I don't know him, I've heard so much about him through the years. What was it that he did that you said, that was exactly what I needed during that season of my life? So you show up at Birmingham Southern, you played at Itawamba, great, great baseball program there. You go to Birmingham Southern. What was it that Coach Shoup did that you said, this was exactly what I needed for that place in my life? I, I was hungry. I, I knew who God was. You know, I got, you know, I, I, I got baptized and went through all that, but I just, there was no, you know, spiritual feeding maybe of, of growth. Uh, like I said, I spent so much time just playing the game and my coaches were everything. And mom and dad are awesome, but we just didn't, you know, participate and and go to church regularly. So I just I wasn't getting fed. Um, I thought I was going to play baseball, and what I got was somebody not beat me over the head, but had me a message every week mm, mm. that uh, shared faith and um, you know real food. I was being fed like I'd never been fed before with unbelievable consistency. You know, I was listening to John Maxwell and Patrick Lencioni. I took my coaching staff last month in December to a one day deal and. And just two words just stuck out to me so much how consistency compounds and, you know, just being consistently fed to word um, was amazing to me. And uh, as soon as I got through college, you know, I just I, I knew that I was ready. And so that, that gave me a date, you know, um, it gave me September the 5th, 1992, the day I accepted Christ. But Brian Shoup fed me like crazy. He was just, I think he was more interested in doing that than he was being my baseball coach. And then, you know, to top it off, which is so tough, if you're really going to sign up to be a spiritual leader and try to turn boys into men, um, you got to be a heck of an example. And um, I've not, not met one finer than Brian Shute. It's amazing because everybody regards him as an amazing baseball coach too. That's That's what I love about that story is, when you hear the name Brian Shoup, you go, man, he's a great baseball coach. But in your estimation, yes, he's a great baseball coach. 
but he was an even greater impact influencer. And you think he, that was more his intention than even being your coach. I, without a doubt. I, I think that's what's so amazing. I, I wouldn't be the head baseball coach at, at, at Auburn university right now, if it were not for Brian shoe uh, and his wife, Brenda. I mean, it was a family affair of, of being invested and, and Brenda was invested and prayed for our ball club. But you know, there's something about, you know, you try so hard uh, to try to make the statement because, you know, this is my job, but it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. And Coach Shoup has helped me get a job, you know. <laughs> he didn't. He's helped me get a job, but he but he gave me eternity. And I see right. one lasting. <laughs> I see one never ending. And um, so that's why I have to put it, categorize it that way, because, I mean, he gave me some, he gave me an ability um, to know my father, my creator, and hey, I, we all love baseball and baseball special to us. And there's really not a sport that's a better teacher uh, and, and gives you adversity and how you can handle it. And you get to go back out there the next day and compete. But man, when somebody gives you something, um, you know, for eternity and helps you meet your creator and, and gives you a faith, um, and yeah, that, that baseball becomes a little, a little smaller proposition. Yeah, it, it uh, definitely goes down the food chain a little bit, doesn't it? When you when you start looking at it that way, and man, guys like that. I know my my college coach Bobby Richardson was very much that way, and he he said it and he lived it. And man, that is a powerful, powerful example. So here you you pick up the original travel ball, man. Legion baseball, you got to love some Legion baseball. Charge one hundred fifty instead of. 1500 it's a it's a whole nother, another brand from the travel ball world that exists now what did you learn about yourself even doing legion ball that summer so instead of going to play somewhere you pick up the mantle you start a program what did you learn about yourself during that summer well i know i i knew pretty early on i was a better coach than a player <laughs> <laughs> i had started i had started figuring out through all the coach shoots questionnaires and in meetings that uh you know, I was uh, I was trying to make the guy to my right and left better and to be able to do things because I was limited in my skills. Um, you know, I, t I think I mentioned that I my younger brother was on that team. Um, that was amazing. Um, you know, I think my takeaway from there that I, I got later on was like, if you have a if you have a habit, good or bad, they're going to be drawn to it, especially yeah. 15, 16 year old. I mean, it's, it's almost monkey see monkey do, you know, they're hunting for something. Um, and it, it checked me at the door of like, hey, if you're going to do this, you have to be a good example. And I knew I had one in Brian at the time. And um, I knew I wanted to coach. And I, I think I, that was the first time I sensed accountability. If you're mm -hmm. going to coach, they're all watching. Yep. Um, and I also figured out that, you know, fast forward to today. I mean, you can't, these, these guys are sharp. You know, they, these guys are brilliant. Um, I guess the second thing I learned from back in that time was I, I just, I really love the game. I, I, that was a summer for me to like, it etched it in stone for me that, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I thought I was good at it. You know, when I was 25, I, I just turned 48. When I was 25, I thought I was the best baseball coach in America at four, at 48. I feel like I got so much more to learn about the game of baseball that it's not even <laughs> funny. But, you know, I gained some confidence that summer. 
it etched in stone that this is what I wanted to do for a living if possible. Um, but it also let me know that, you know, boy, I needed to, I needed to have myself right. Um, I needed to be doing right. I needed to be an unbelievable example if I was going to get an opportunity to lead others. You know, you began and you said, you said earlier, it's your 28th year in coaching and you have, you've been at Huntington College, Birmingham Southern. You spent one year as a head coach at Jefferson Community, few seasons at the University of Georgia before, what, eight years at Mississippi State? Is that correct? Yeah, seven and a half, close to Yep. So you spent, you spent those years as an assistant coach while you were doing that. You know, I know you had the one brief stint as a head coach. Did did you always know that you wanted to be the guy one day that you said, there's a day I want my own program to be able to make a mark? Was that always behind the scenes with you? It, it just happened subtly. You know, at 25 years old, you're a head coach. Yeah. And I'm a junior college head coach at 25, and I, I did not think that it would you know, be 45 or so before I'm a head coach again. Uh, those 23 years just really, <laughs> you know, surprised me from that aspect. And, you know, there were a couple opportunities along the way. But, uh, you know, almost being in this league in Southeastern Conference for two decades, you get settled in. You know, you get to work at a, with a really high-level player. Um, you're at some great places uh, that you just mentioned. Uh, there's good people everywhere. My wife had a good countenance about her. and um, or really, you know, respected and enjoyed the men that I was working for and the schools that I was a part of. And, you know, so that keeps you from, from, from looking around and you're just, uh, the old cliche, if you just try to do a good job where you're at, things will work out, uh, applied. I did go through a phase where probably for three or four years, uh, I wanted to be a head coach too bad. Mm. And I really, at the end of every season, I'm like, all right, this is it. What have I got to do? Who I got to talk to? Um, it's kind of an embarrassing phase for me personally, just three or four years of trying to get mine. And um, I, I think the good Lord kept those doors closed at that time, probably give me an answer. You're not ready yet. And probably this last journey, the almost eight years at Mississippi State, um, I learned some new things. Um, I grew the most. Um, John Cohen, who's now the athletic director of Mississippi State, was my my head coach. We're, we're different people. Uh, he's brilliant. Um, he's sharp. He's a great thinker. And he made me do it at a level that I haven't done it before. Mm. And um, it was really neat to get to go back home to try to make a difference, to build up a, a proud program. Um, but I learned so much that when I got to the end of the journey at Mississippi State, um, and I got this opportunity of a lifetime to be the head coach at Auburn. Um, I wasn't as earnest about it. I wasn't jumping off a cliff. I wasn't mm. trying to run over somebody to get to it. Um, there was a piece about it. Um, so there was much more maturity and um, associated with it. And I, I, just the timing felt right uh, because I, that three or four window where I wanted to be a head coach so bad, I was probably uh, a very unattractive uh, person that nobody you know would want to hire and I think just going through you know some some more maturing some more growth uh, some more peace uh, of figuring this thing out that um, I think it happened at the right time of this last appointment to be at Auburn and um, I'm thankful for it.
What would you tell somebody that's in that waiting season? Because I think that's a part of everybody's journey. Somewhere along the way, we enter the waiting room. We enter the waiting season. What would you tell somebody that's in that season right now as you look back at it in the rearview mirror and you see the lessons you've learned? What's something you would say to encourage somebody in a waiting season right now? Uh, first off, it's easier said than done. You know, <laughs> we have all these coaching tips. You know, our whole life is waking up and whoever I see today, you know, can I give them a, a good coaching tip to make the day better or help them figure something out? But, um, um, you know, we got a couple of places we can go. We, we got our Bible, the playbook. Um, I think probably more ap- applicable, or not more, but, uh, you know, a way that I really use to attack things is just, you know, had that mentor, had that brother. I had that somebody instead of me talking to myself and, you know, acting like a one-legged duck swimming in a circle and getting myself in a frenzy, having somebody uh, that's going through the same thing you are and maybe even a Paul, maybe even a mentor, uh, Brian Shoup for me that we had talked about earlier to just call him and he go, calm down, boy. <laughs> and uh, somebody to, to just be there with just more maturity, the mat- that, that possesses maturity or where you're trying to get to. Um, give them a situation. It could be a coaching situation. It could be a job situation. It could be a marital situation. If it's supposed to be somebody that you really, really trust, I just having that Paul, that Barnabas. You know, you got your Timothys. You got your younger people. That's your team that you're mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to lead. But I, I think the biggest thing for me is pinpointing a couple of uh, real men and saying, "Hey, will you help me? Will you help me from?" Will you help me from doing something dumb? Will you help me to be a better coach? Will you help me to be a better man and a father and a husband? Um, can I count on you? And, um, you know, having a couple of men like that stand in the gap have kept me from just internally letting the, the motor get revved too much and and uh, getting crazy and building myself mentally, uh, getting to some bad places and having men that I trust uh, – it's probably helped me more than anything else. You know, in in the baseball world, I guess I'm I heard you. I didn't meet you. I heard you a couple years ago at a dugout club convention doing pitching. And as I began to ask around, everybody said, Man, he's the guy. He's that guy. Everybody learns from. How did you how did you carve that pitching niche in college baseball? You've turned out some phenomenal players during your years at Mississippi State. And especially last year at Auburn, you have, man, you have become known as a guy who is, uh, is a guy who leaves a mark on the pitchers in his program. How did that happen? Was that just because of your background in pitching? What, what would you say? I'd say it's a journey. I'd say it's a need. I, like, again, like I said, when I was 25, I knew everything about the game of baseball. Move over, Abner Doubleday. You know, Butch Thompson is here, and he's going to take college baseball by storm. I, I think it was coming from a good place, though. I was newly married. Um, we wanted to get ready to start having a family. Um, I, I wanted to provide for my family. You know, I grew up in a trailer and almost burned it down a couple of times, my mom tells me, you know, every Christmas when, when me and my girls are around. And I, I just wanted to make a way for my family. So, it, it, it you know, there was a – there was a time starting out where I just didn't know anything. I was just teaching what Brian Shoup had taught me. Mm-hmm. And Rock, my pitching coach had taught me. I just, I was teaching what they taught me. What's really neat after 10, 15 years, this second half, 
the last decade, now you teach what you've learned, the experience mm-hmm. of what the game's taught you, and you shape and formulate your own opinions. So I, I think I just have <laughs> grown and to the point to where, one, I'm myself, and I think that's the best place to come from for anybody is to to be yourself, take your experiences, and then how you would apply them and help somebody else. And then, you know, I, I'm thankful. It, it, I've, I've been really blessed. I, I was counting up last night. I do some of these speaking engagements like you mentioned and get to go around and do some groups to, to be able to turn on the TV this spring and, you know, see almost 10 guys in the big leagues and having another seven or eight sitting there in double A and triple A. You know, I'm excited about that large group of guys that are, pitching at a high level and I am positive that I got to the point where once I removed myself more as a coach the players filled in that space Mm. uh, I called pitches for the first 15 years because um, I was trying to win I was trying to get the next job I was trying to you know control these guys Um, I was trying to help them it was coming from a good place but you know, I was dictating everything. There's, there's not as much growth for the, for the player when somebody's doing every bit of thinking for them. And then I, I know this last decade, there's been a more of like I'm trying to create conviction and ownership within the player, um, a mentality of run your own show. You know, nobody put a gun to my head and, and told me I had to accept Christ. You know, I got to that point of my own. You know, I finally got a man that gave me freedom and told me about him and lived his life a certain way that I could see the example for me to be able to make my own decision. Um, I think when a young man, you know, once they leave me, you know, like uh, we had the first pick of the draft last year, an amazing young man. And I think when he took ownership of calling his own game, um, when he had to stand in front of the microphone, if he lost the game, um, he couldn't say that, you know, Coach Smith or Coach Thompson, if they hadn't called that slider in the eighth inning, we wouldn't have lost that game. Um, when you have to make every decision, um, you, you can't pass the buck anywhere. I think that makes a better man. Um, so we we just started having our guys stand up and recite their identity four times a year to their peers, to their teams, to their coaches. Uh, there was just a shift, and it's amazing. I, maybe I wasn't a good coach, and I'm a better coach now, because I've less of myself, and maybe I shouldn't be, be be saying that. I'm putting less of a footprint of myself on our players. I'm just allowing them to have a bigger space. I'm allowing them to fail. So now I don't call pitches because I'm trying to win games. How about that? The, the same reasons, but our guys prepare more. Our guys are in tune more. I got, our guys don't pass the buck as much. Um, and we're seeing another level of growth that I didn't get the first half of my career. You know, it's so funny you say that. We'll be coming on the heels of uh, Coach Patty Gasso's interview, and one of the things she said, I think she's won four national titles, she said, I think sometimes we overcoach. I think sometimes we, we, we don't let them be who we recruited them to be. You know, we, we fine-tune them too much and tell them too much, and uh, – that that plays right into that thought. Do you think, Coach, that even goes down to the high school level, travel ball level, that kids should begin even at that stage owning that more? Or do you think that's something they're only ready for in college? I do uh, with my whole heart. You know, I'm sold out to it. Um, but when I, when I 
when I give that speech, when I give that talk, um, the coaches don't seem ready for it. Um, they're like, there's no way I'm letting that young guy <laughs> make those decisions, you know, for my livelihood. And what I would say is that they were at the same place I was at. And I'm just at a different place. Um, and, you know, I want it to happen because I want the game of baseball. I want players to develop. I want them to grow across the boards. You know, I want my team to beat your team. Um, but I just want you since you found a, you know, a, a way to, to grow players, you want to share that. Yeah. And, um, but I just, yeah, I think 13, 14, 15, um, let them roll. I think you'd be amazed. Um, the information that they, they know the capabilities within them. Um, I just know I used to put boundaries on players and taking those boundaries off and continuing to move them out away from them and, and, and giving them something to go for, um, man, they'll go do it. They'll go get it. Um, so yeah, I think it, I'm amazed, uh, at, at how much growth that, that we've had charting guys through a three or four year cycle by allowing them to create their own conviction and ownership compared to, you know, coming in the door the same and, and maybe not leaving as well. You know, I, hmm. I had a, a few examples cause you know, everybody talks about, you know, pitch calling is kind of the, the one that everybody talks about. You know, I guess I've seen, seen it all work and every coach has got to make a decision what's best for him and his program. But the biggest example I have was when I was with coach shoot and we had a, young man his junior year that that goes five and five in our program and at the end of the year coach shoot does an end of the year meeting and he sat down uh coach shoot did and me and Seth sat across from him and had our end of the year interview because I was Seth's position coach and Seth pretty much says you know I'm a 500 pitcher because coach Thompson can't call pitches every pitch that he calls I want to call the opposite and um uh, you know, I'm kind of the, the hothead coach at that stage, like I've outlined. And I'm like, I'm done. You're going to call every pitch. And, you know, that next year was 2001. And, you know, we won a national championship and stuff. <laughs> Seth threw the last pitch, <laughs> the last pitch of the World Series. And, and Seth was 12-0. and 0 Holy and, uh, smokes. And was a catalyst uh, for our ball club. Um, it's just it, it's 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 hard to explain, um, and, and there's examples on other sides too. Uh, but I just I saw that growth of the young man. I've I've also had I tried to push the envelope to where I thought somebody was ready for it before I gave it to them, and you know that was an SEC. And as soon as we flipped it, and the coaching staff started calling pitches again, I guess it's my my best run. I'd like to have one of those in 2019 where we won 14 SEC games in a Good row. Night. So I got an example, you know, all the way around and every pitcher's different. Um, every coach is different. We just kind of, we got to find our identity, who we are and start simply working from there to connect with our players. But man, I think we're supposed to be giving our players that that's what we're here for. We're, yeah. we're here to develop young men. It's, it's not so much our development. It's not what we know. It's really the mark of a coach is when a player leaves what they know. Mm -hmm. And with Casey Mize, the first pick of the draft, I've seen him twice. I was so close to that young man. And uh, we'll spend time together, but I'm not going to Detroit with him. I'm staying here in Auburn, Alabama, and working on the next group of guys. So 
if we were going to equip him, if we were going to help him to be a major league pick, pitcher, we had three years to do it. And it's not us just dictating and feeding him information and him taking it in. His eyes were wide open. And when he had to play LSU on a Saturday, he had to be in here on a Tuesday because he knew he was going to have to be in control of his own game. Yeah. So he had a preparation. When he leaves the bullpen, um, he's not having to – He's having to tap into how his stuff is setting up because a pitcher's stuff sets up different every day. In That's the right. That's right. If I'm if I'm calling every pitch for him, he he has the on off button on off on his awareness because it doesn't matter how his stuff sets up. When he gets to run his own show and call his own game, he's very interested in, in how the fastball is moving that day and command of both sides of the plate and the depth of the breaking ball and how the balls rotate. He's very aware of how his stuff sets up going into the ball game. And so once they leave us, we hope we've done a good job and armed them where they, it's not that them say that, you know, Casey's saying, man, Butch was a good coach. I'm glad I had him. I want them to be able to say, I'm ready for the next chapter. Boy, that's good. That is so good. And, and sort of the intricacy of that is catcher calls it. Pitcher has the option of shaking off, I'm assuming. Is that how y'all handle that? Yeah, it, it yeah. has. We do everything. We do earpieces now in the Southeastern Conference. Oh, do you really? The games, uh, we instituted that last year. You can't do it in postseason. You can't do it against non-conference. But our 30 SEC games, uh, Coach Smith, our pitching coach, can actually talk to the catcher. And it's Holy smokes. It's pretty amazing, you know, we – well, I sometimes say when I'm picking on baseball, I always say that, you know, we're eight to 10 years behind football and basketball, you know, and the, the quarterbacks and the earpieces yeah. and all the technology. I said, oh, yeah, I've seen that. It'll eventually, you know, trickle down to baseball and we'll, we'll use it. We, uh, we're, uh, we're getting closer. That's awesome. What makes it, you, you've been in this a long time now. To you, what makes a great coach, no matter the sport, football, baseball, basketball, what makes a great coach? Can they genuinely care? Um, Because if you genuinely care, um, if you're focused on trying to – just none of this is rocket science. It's really not. Um, If you really care, then you'll do a few things. It, whatever the subject matter is, you'll try to go to the best and, and figure it out. I, I remember six or seven years ago, I, we're sitting in the office. I'm at Mississippi State, and me and Coach Minjone, he's now the head coach at uh, Kentucky. We're the two assistants, and I'm like, man, I, I'm just – I need to talk to somebody about pitching. I, I just – I don't know. I'm, I'm a little dry here. And we just started laughing and kicking around. Like, what about Tom Glavin? And uh, I said, well, what about Tom Glavin? So it took us about 30 minutes and, you know, from this guy to that guy, you finally get those degrees of separation and get a phone, a phone number. So in about 30 minutes, we're just, you know, off of a whim and kind of jokingly now we call Tom Glavin. He's like, yeah, I don't know who is it. (laughs) (laughs) You just tell him who you are. And you're like, I just, you know, you get tired of talking to people that are just as confused as you are. Why not go for Hall of Famers? Why not go for the best in the world mm-hmm. at whatever your subject matter is? And he said, I'll call you back. And so he called back about 15 minutes later and he's like, Hey, um, if you can be at Starbucks in the morning at 10 o'clock and, you know, 
I'll, I'll meet with you. I'll talk some pitching. He didn't know I'd have to get up at like two o'clock in the morning and uh, <laughs> start from Mississippi and drive, but I did. And it's amazing. And he spent three hours with me. The time passed. It just, it was a treat for me, but man, if you care, you'll mm-hmm. find information or subject matter to, to pass on, to teach. You know, that's another thing coach shoot told me. He's like, Hey, I know you're young, you're a whippersnapper. You're getting to go be this junior college head coach. Teach what you know. Mm. And don't do the rest. Mm. Don't grab at straws. Just teach what you know. That's got to be good enough for the day. And then go learn some more and then teach what you know. But don't just start, you know, grabbing at straws. And if you care, you'll follow through on that. And you won't just start throwing things out that you know nothing about. If you care, you're going to care about the growth of that player and you'll invest in him and it won't be about you as much. If you care, you'll be good to the people around you. If you care, you won't count the hours that you're working and you'll work more and you'll spend time and you'll, you'll burn the candle at both ends if you want to, if you care, because you see value in that. If you sincerely care and, and the guys I've seen have charisma. Ooh. They could coach anything. Yep. I keep watching some of these guys that just are so successful. And I keep seeing these guys are at the very top, like a Tom Glavin. The simplicity, mm-hmm. there's so much simplicity at the top. Yep. The confusion is found in the middle and the bottom. Totally agree. <laughs> they are so crystal clear. It's just boom, boom, boom. The people that are the best in the world, it seems like, they're doing one or two things exceptional. Yep. And anybody that's trying to get there that's not there yet, they're trying to do 15 things and they're very confused. And nothing is sharp. And I, you know, Bruce Lee says, I'm not scared of the man that's done 10,000 kicks one time. I'm scared of the man that's done one kick 10,000 mm. times. Mm. Mm. It's a mastering of, of simple skills that I, I think I've seen the best execute but you know if you can master skills and if you can really really care a a lot of things will fall into place you know it's so funny my freshman year at liberty uh coach richson brought in catfish hunter came through lynchburg and did a pitching lesson for us and i remember coach asking catfish hunter what's the key to pitching what's the key to being a great pitcher and catfish said always keep your fingers on top of the ball and I remember sitting there as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid going, holy cow, that makes sense. And all of a sudden, I found control. And I found how to stay on top of a curveball and a fastball and a changeup and a cutter slider. And it was like the light bulb came on, but it was simplicity. It was not complicated. It wasn't four different balance point, you know, launch angle, you know. <laughs> It, it was it was just the simple, and I'm thinking that guy made a pretty good career in the major leagues with a very he did it very well, but it was super simple, and that was a, that's a good word there, man. That's a really good word. We just have to, but we have to be fertile. Yeah, you know, the 25 year old me with Catfish Hunter would have been going like, they give me nothing, give me more. <laughs> so like the big leaguers not giving you much. But then fast forward to when I meet with Tom Glavin and how, how awesome is that yep. for, to do that? It's amazing. These guys that I've met like Tom and 
once I got on this journey, I just, you want to, you want to meet with the best of the best and how they'll give you time. Um, so I'm appreciative to Tom and like the story you're telling me, catfish hunter coming by the 25 year old me would have been like, man, that's nothing. Give me, you know, you got to give me more. Yeah. And, and then now, you know, hearing that and sitting down with, with Tom, the simplicity is like, that's it. That's, what what I didn't understand was I threw more strikes, which meant I got hit harder. I didn't understand that at the time, but you know it, it didn't work out well for me because I couldn't. I, I had a great ability coach to hit bats. It was a crazy thing pitching, but uh, the I love that that care though drives. I think you hear genuinely care, and you think okay, care for the player, but there is so many other facets to being a great coach, caring about learning, caring about growing, caring about being your best. That's, that is a really good thought. Really good thought. At the end of your day, when life is said and done, you're going, all right, I'm hanging up my cleats. I am retiring from coaching full time. What do you want players to remember about you? I'll just go right back to that. I just want them to, I I think about that a lot. You know, I want them to mimic me. Mm. I want them in 10 years, 20 years from now, that there's a little light bulb that goes off when they have a situation and they maybe not even talk to me. And they go back to the time that we were in the same uniform and they're like, man, that's how he would handle that. That's what he would have thought that. And that's why I care so much and I feel the pressure on me. It's not to win ball games. My pressure is to, did I give the right example mm-hmm. for when they're making that decision? Um, when they come back in 10 or 15 years and I'm not in the room and they're sitting around and they're making fun of my country dialect or they're <laughs> using one of the sayings and they're making fun of me. Um, I used to think mimicking was, was uh, disrespectful. Um, as I've gotten older as a coach, uh, I think it's a form of flattery. Mm, mm. If they're saying the things that you used to say and they're using your voice and they're laughing with joy and they're smiling and they're making fun of you, uh, I've changed my stance on that where to where I think that that's positive. I, I, I'd hope that they just keep ringing some, my good, the good part of me, the good messages, the good <laughs> time. Uh, I'd hope that they just keep, you know, having those instances moving forward and that, uh, you, you know, I, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'll, I'll lose them a few games along the way. I know that, uh, um, you know, things aren't always going to be perfect, but I just want to feel like that, man, he, he, he cared and, uh, he got after it and he, he run a good program and he respected the school. Uh, he respected me and my family. And he gave me a great opportunity to, to do the most with it that I could. When the Lord looks at you and he, you, you come to know Christ under coach Shoup, September the 5th, 1992, you finish your run and, and the Lord is looking at your journey and he is evaluating how you did through those years. What do you hope he says about you? <laughs> well, he's going to laugh first off, just like, <laughs> You know, I, <clears throat> I've respected, I just, it's been like a breath of fresh air getting to know you. Whenever I get to meet another very special man that's making an impact, it makes me feel better. Mm. Um, but 
you know, there's, there's some things that God knows about me that nobody else does that, uh, I think he's taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've really tried to get on my knees and, and pray. And, um, I still, I, I know, I understand where it says, you know, ask for forgiveness. And, and when it happens from, from God, it separates it, makes it as far as the East is from the West. But man, I still feel guilty when I let him down yeah. or I, I know I still have a conscience to know my right from wrong. And when I, when I come short, it, it really bothers me. Um, I hope moving forward that, uh, you know, I continue to grow and, and by seeking him stronger and better than I have been, I can do more. Mm-hmm. I can do more for my faith. I can do more for my family. I can do more for my players and our school. I always got to feel that way. Um, so, so where I'm at, you know, I'm not ready to, to go. I, whatever his plan <laughs> is, is what I'm going to be okay with and go with and not fight. But I, I still hope the best is yet to come. I, I still hope that I get to do some things. I know, um, you know, when you get down to the end, you know, Billy Graham, he'd been preaching for 70 years. And the reporter said, what else you want to do? You want to go fishing? You want to sit on the porch? What do you want to do? He said, I want to finish strong. Mm. Mm. And uh, I hope that God at some point goes like, man, I used you. I used you. You're a clown. And I was able to use you to impact a lot of people. You know, I, I don't take it lightly when I hear that a coach has a chance to impact more people in one year than some people do in a lifetime. That's right. Buddy, that makes you have to stand up every morning and and, and try to strap it on the right way. But uh, I want to continue to grow. I, I'm I'm still so young in my in my ways. I don't have all the verses memorized. Uh, I still need to be fed. Um, I still need people around me. I always will. Um, I get such a broken spirit sometimes that if I'm just I'm not locked in, I drift. That probably makes me a very common man that experiences human nature like all the rest of us but that's why you got to keep fighting the good fight each and every day and, and keep persevering and growing but i just i just want to i just want to do right by people and sometimes that's hard what's really hard being a coach sometimes is you know not everybody can play mm. you know um somebody's gonna hit in the ninth hole that's right here in another month and somebody's gonna hit nine and they've been hitting three their whole life and we'll have to deal with, uh, you know, the removal of pride and how can I help them through it? And did I make the right decision? And, you know, we're not the smartest people in the world. I was looking last year at our February opening day lineup. And when we get to June and we're playing, we're one game away from, from Omaha in that qualifying game to be in the last eight, our lineup's completely different from February to June. It goes from like the coaches thinking this is the lineup to in June, the players make the lineup out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, that was a better lineup late. (laughs) That's another reason as coaches, you know, you just trust the players, you know, and I tell them, Hey, practice is for the coaches and, you know, the games for the players. And if we do a good enough job with our practices through the year, that can be true. And, um, but I just, you know, I want to keep growing and I'll just, you know, I'll just thank God for what he did for me, um, for sending his son. And, uh, to give somebody like me that's still trying to figure it out every day that don't have it figured out mm. that, that wish I could be better. That hurts me when I'm not, but to know I'm forgiven for all this stuff, I, you know, whatever God hands down to me, I, you know, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it, but I need to wear it. Cause he, uh, he sent his son down here. He, he's, he's done something more amazing for us than, 
than anybody can can imagine be done. What a time with Coach Thompson. You know, he's one of those people we met. Uh, I'd heard him speak at a convention a couple years ago, a workshop, and then getting to be with him back in December at the event we were at together over in Tuscaloosa. Man, I just fell in love with the guy. You know, as a as a former player, you meet people and you're like, man, I would have loved to have played for him. He's a guy I would have loved to have played for. He just gets it. It, it reminds me a little of Coach Curry and Coach Dooley. He just gets it. He gets the it factor. He gets the things that that matter and the things that don't matter. And he wants to be his best, but he gets that it's life life's bigger than baseball. All those little things that you really can't even put your finger on, he gets all of those things. And I think, you know, every every episode I try to find a word that captures that person. The word for him, and I'm going to use it in two ways for Coach Thompson, is influence. One, the way Coach Shoup influenced his life. And secondly, the passion Coach Thompson has to influence players' lives now. He's incredibly intentional about that. I know that while you're playing for him, you may not even think, oh, yeah, he's thinking about that. But he really is thinking about that. And, you know, it's one of those things, if we're intentional, we definitely lead our lives in a different way than if we're not intentional. Man, I'm thankful for for men like Coach Thompson. They're they're wandering the dugouts. They're in offices. They're they're in high school classrooms. They're all over. They're people that live with an intentionality to influence for the right reasons. Coach Thompson's a winner, man, on and off the field. Whatever his record may be, irrelevant to me. The guy's a winner. And just as he's looking back now talking about the, the impact Coach Shoup had on his life, I have a feeling many years from now there'll be young men looking back talking about the influence Coach Thompson had on their lives. Job well done, Coach. Very, very good. Well, our next episode, we're in a we're in a uh, spring training month here. Uh, baseball's rolling out. College baseball, pro baseball is getting started down in Florida. High school baseball is cranking up. Softball's getting college softball is getting going. We uh, are going to stay on that same thread with another special episode next week, where we sit down with a shortstop of the Atlanta Braves. Dansby Swanson. You may have seen him on the billboard. You may have watched commercials with him. You may have watched him play in person, seen his great career at Vanderbilt. But I'm going to tell you something. This young man has a lot more going than what he does with a glove and a bat. And you are going to love our time with Dansby Swanson. Until next time, go be the leader you were created to be. Share this broadcast. If you're uh, if it affected you and it and it helped you, man, share it with somebody. Go and post a review on iTunes. That would help us a ton. Climb up the charts just so others can listen in on how to be the leader that God created them to be. Once again, thanks for listening in. And until next time, I pray that you are exactly who you were created to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.